0: Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and each week we take an in-depth look at God's Word with the goal of putting our minds in a better place and learning more about what it means to glorify Christ with our lives. And recently, we started a series on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue that series next week. But this week we have a special message that is geared toward fathers. On Sunday, we celebrated Father's Day here in the United States, and I wanted to take some time to take a look at what Scripture reveals to us about God the Father. So that's our focus this week. I hope you find it encouraging and refreshing. But before we dig into all this content together, let's pause for a quick word from today's sponsors. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life, because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody this morning. So glad you're able to be here with us. This morning, we're going to take a pause from our recent series on the Holy Spirit, but you're going to see that what we're talking about this morning is highly related to everything we've been speaking about related to the Holy Spirit's ministry. This morning, we're going to be talking about God the Father specifically because this is Father's Day and Scripture has much to say about God the Father's role and the example and the, the role, the work, the relationship, all of that that God the Father has and accomplishes And we're going to look at quite a few different scriptures, but this morning I'd like to start us off with 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're just going to look at verses 4, 5, and 6, and then we're going to look at a series of other things found in scripture as well. 1 Corinthians 8, starting with verse 4, this is what we read. through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for the privilege that you've given us today to be able to take some time to look at your word and think about the things that you've communicated to us in it. And Father, we recognize that the things we look at today are portions of your word that point us directly to you. These are things that help us understand who you are, your role, your ministry, the ways in which our relationship with you operates, the things that you do that you invite us to copy. Lord, we're so grateful that you make these things clear to us in your word, and we pray that you would help us to internalize these truths and help us to understand what we're reading. And likewise, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to grow in our walk with you as a result. So we commit this time to you now, Lord. We thank you for all of these things in jesus' name, amen so I, I let me start with an understatement, and the understatement is this: becoming a father is one of the most transformative events of a man 's life that 's an understatement isn 't it right? Uh, you watch your life transform from being primarily centered on meeting your needs or, or taking care of your responsibilities to primarily beco- becoming focused on the needs of other people. And as a father, with every decision you make, you start weighing the kind of impact it's going to have on your children. You find yourself in a spot where you're protecting, you're providing, you are at times mediating disputes. Uh, you offer counsel, you offer correction, you do these things on a daily basis, because you're trying to prepare your children to navigate life gradually without your help. You want to be able to set them out into this world prepared for what they're going to face, and you pray, often in desperation, that the Lord will intervene in the lives of your children. Do you identify with some of those statements, those of you that are dads? You know, these are things that you find yourself doing, and, uh, you know, I've, I've been a father now for 23 years, and I have to say, that litany of responsibilities and activities hasn't changed. It hasn't diminished. I think it's only increased as my children have gotten older, grown up. Uh, many latent instincts tend to get triggered in your mind when the Lord gives you children. I, I could tell you that the, uh, the first time I purchased life insurance was when we had children. Prior to that, I didn't think much about stuff like that. Even, even as a, a newly married man, I wasn't really thinking a, a, a whole bunch about that. But then once we, a couple of years into the marriage, started, kids started showing up, and I started thinking about, you know, what happens? Like, what, if something unforeseen happens to me, how do I make sure that these children are provided for even after my death? And so you start thinking about things like that. And every day from the, moments you're, the, the moment your kids are born, you begin making both small and large sacrifices together with your wife for their long-term benefit. That becomes your life at that point. And I have often said this, and maybe some of you have thought the same thing, but I've often said that becoming a father has given me new insight into God's loving and sacrificial heart toward his children. There are things about that that I thought I understood, but when I found myself in a spot to actually be a father, I felt like I understood his love a little bit better than I did prior. And I found myself looking at certain portions of Scripture a little bit differently. I found myself identifying with his willingness to sacrifice for our benefit. That seemed a bit clearer to me in my mind. I thought, yeah, I kind of understand not just the theoretical impact of that, but the emotional impact of that. We've even come to appreciate his willingness to discipline us for our own good in a new way. When you, have to start, when you have to start rendering discipline to the lives of other people and you realize, I remember my grandmother used to tell me of her father, she said, you know, anytime he had to discipline us, we would oftentimes catch him crying afterward privately. He'd do what he had to do but then we'd catch him feeling a little bit emotionally wrecked afterward. And I used to think to myself, why? You guys probably deserved it. You know, like, why would you? And then you actually have to do it, and you, you keep your game face on when you do it. And then what do you do? You go behind closed doors, and your heart feels heavy, and your face looks sad, and you're, you're praying, Lord, did I do the right thing? Did I handle that the right way? Like, like please convince their heart, please convince their mind of the truth, And when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us about a whole bunch of things, many things related to God the Father. And so I thought on a day like today it would be refreshing to be able to look at some of these things because Scripture tells us about his role. Scripture tells us about his work. Scripture tells us about the ways in which he desires to have a relationship with you and with me. And it also tells us, when you look at Scripture, that there are ways that you and I can reflect his loving heart toward one another, whether we're in a fatherly role or not we have a Father that we're being invited to copy. And Scripture tells us so many things about that. Now, let me start off this morning by just talking about the Father's role in the Trinity. Now, when you look at what Scripture tells us about God and about God's nature, Scripture reveals to us that there is only one God, yet He exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a self-existent Tri unity that we often refer to as the Trinity, and all three persons of the Trinity are equal in nature and they live in perfect unity with with each other. But Scripture makes it clear that there are distinct roles among the members of the Trinity, and there's actually an order of subordination among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The members of the Trinity, imagine this, and this is, I think, one of the greatest mysteries for us to try and wrap our mind around, but the members of the Trinity voluntarily submit to one another. They voluntarily, voluntarily submit to one another. The Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son, and the Son submits to the Father. And this voluntary submission, it shows us that our God is a God of order while also being a God of perfect humility. And I think it's interesting, you know, if, if you've ever found yourself in a position of leadership, or all of us have at one point or another had the opportunity to work with leaders, there are certain things that make some leaders better than others. And one of the things that I think makes a leader pretty special is if that leader is willing to do the very things that that leader tells you to do. So if a leader tells me to do something, but I don't see that he's willing to do it himself, I find myself saying, are you really leading? Because you're not really leading by example. And yet you look at what the Lord does, in how he operates, you know, as, as, as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interact with one another, in the context of the church and in the context of marriage, when you think about the ways in which the, the voluntary submission occurs in the Trinity, and you think about how that impacts the church and how that impacts marriage, That's a great example to remember, because when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that we as the church should submit to one another. Now, when I think about my day-to-day relationships with other people, I don't think that would be an automatic thought. I don't think that that's something that we as human beings would automatically think, oh, I've just met someone new in the, the family of God. I should submit to that person. I think Scripture tells us that because we don't automatically go in that direction. And then Scripture has the audacity. Can you imagine that Scripture says this? It actually talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. And it says, husbands, you should be willing to die for your wife. And wife, you should be willing to submit to your husband's leadership. And you look at that. Talk about something countercultural, right? You look at that. That'd get you kicked out of a lot of places to say if you believe something like that. And then you look at the Lord telling the church to submit to one another. And then he talks about submission operating in marriage. But then he demonstrates it in how the Father and Son and Holy Spirit relate to one another. So he's not asking you or me to do anything in our marriages or in the church that he himself, by nature, doesn't demonstrate. Just again, within his own nature. Now, within the Trinity, God the Father operates as the head, and as the head, God sent or God the Father sent God the Son into the world to accomplish our salvation. If you look at what John three sixteen or excuse me, John three seventeen says, it says, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world." but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that's why God the Father sent God the Son into this world to save the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, that the world would be saved through him. And then when the Son returned to heaven, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to seal us and to teach us. When you look at John 14, verses 25 and 26, you have Jesus saying this. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So it's interesting when we just think about how God's nature operates and we think about uh, the Father's role in the Trinity, these are some of the things that we see. But then Scripture also goes on to reveal to us the work that God is accomplishing. Now, we read this verse just a moment ago, but I want to read it again. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now, one of the earliest concepts that I began observing about my own father, who, by the way, drove a couple hours down to be with us, today, but he sat in the back. So, Dad, you don't have to answer this out loud, but why do you sit in the back, you know? What, what were you afraid was going to be said from the front here? <laughs> but I have to say, one of the, one of the <laughs> concepts I began observing about my dad when I was a child, like, if you asked me, like, what, what does your dad do? And I, I would have told you, he works. My dad works, right? And uh, I remember every day he went to work at Stongy's Market, our family grocery store in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And at night he would come home tired, and I think his favorite thing to do when he came home was to find his recliner and sit down just to decompress for just a moment. And this is a distinct... You know how there are certain things from your childhood that get burned into your brain? This is what gets burned into my brain uh, during that season. He would have a can of Spanish peanuts next to his recliner... And my mother would bring him a glass of iced tea. So he would sit down with a can of Spanish peanuts and iced tea and just kind of decompress. And into that moment, my sisters and I would be like, oh, great, dad's home. And so we would be jumping on him. And I remember at that time, like I would never, I I would get so excited when we would come home. And I remember one of the things that, that I wanted to do was to box with him. So how, you know, like the end of a long work day, do you, anyone feel like boxing, even with a five-year-old? And so I'd be like, oh, great, dad's home. He'd sit down, he'd have iced tea in one hand, Spanish peanuts in the other, and I'd be like, all right, father, it's on, here we go. And I'd stand there, and he'd be like, oh, my goodness. And he'd, but he'd, he'd set his stuff down, and he'd put his hands up, and we would box, and we would box, and then every now and then, I would sneak a real punch in, and I'd just like try and like miss his hands, and hit his stomach, and he'd be like, that's it, we're done, we're done. I was like, that's all right, I was, I was wearing out anyway. I just wanted to sneak one in before we were finished and then pretend it was an accident. It wasn't an accident. <laughs> but, I, but I loved that, and I remember at that time, I thought, all right, you know, I, I want to be just like my dad. I want to be a hard worker like my dad, I would see him work hard, thought I want to work hard like my dad, and so I remember at that season he said I had to be five before I could work at the store with him and so when I was five, child labor laws don 't apply when you have a family run business i 'm just saying so i 'll never forget how excited I was though when he allowed me to start working at the store at age five, stocking the shelves, helping out in other ways, probably being more of a nuisance than anything, but I was still around my father and around my grandfather and around my uncle and around my cousins and. It was fun. It was really good. It was really helpful. But I'll tell you what, he taught me the value of working hard, and that is one of the major life lessons that I have tried to teach to my children. And one of the things I'll tell you, and I I want him to hear me say this, because it's definitely true, I had no idea how much my adult life would be spent doing work, but not under the direct supervision of other people. Do you ever think about that? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I often, like, this was really hard to adjust to when I became a pastor, I thought, all right, people see the fruit of the work that you do, but they don't usually see the process. So they're almost accepting by faith that you're actually doing your work, right? And, um, and I remember early on trying to figure out like, how, this, how this would work, how I would schedule my time, things like that. And one of the things that my father taught me was the, the value of working with integrity, meaning doing your job even if no one's directly watching you doing what you're supposed to do, even if you're not being directly observed, understanding that your Heavenly Father sees everything that you do. And so there was a lot of non-direct supervision I was given as a child working at the store. I was just trusted to do my job, and then the outcomes would be measured at the end of the day. And I realized you know, that had a lot of preparation, stocking those shelves in the grocery store, uh, that that really was helpful for me in the role that I, I presently serve in. So thank you for that, Father. I appreciate that. And when you look at what Scripture teaches us about God the Father, it talks about a work that He's accomplishing. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 8, 6, we're told that He is the creator of all things. So it speaks about His work in creation. Creation finds its source in Him. But in addition to creating the universe, we're also told in Scripture that part of the work of God that He's accomplishing is that he's giving revelation to mankind so that we'll know him and that we'll know him more fully. In fact, when you look at how the book of Revelation starts in Revelation 1.1, it says, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place." So you see God giving revelation intentionally so that we would know more about Him and not just about Him. There are a lot of people in this world that know about God. God doesn't just want us to know about Him. That's part of what He wants us to know. But He actually actually wants us to know Him, relationally. He wants to be someone you know and I know. And then Scripture also tells us that when we're thinking about the work of God, we're also told that He orchestrated the plan of salvation so that we would be the beneficiaries of that. It's part of the work that He's accomplished. He's orchestrated the plan of our salvation. When you look at Ephesians 1.5, it tells us about this long-planned orchestration of our salvation where it says, Ephesians 1.5, "...He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will." But that's not all Scripture tells us about the work that God is accomplishing in this world. That, in and of itself, is, is eternally significant. But Scripture also reveals other areas where God is at work. In the book of Psalms, we're told that God is the Father to the fatherless and defender of widows. Isn't that a cool thing to think? that, that That's who God is by nature. The Father to the fatherless, the defender and protector of widows the epistle of James, we're told that he's the giver of every good gift, every good and perfect gift It comes from God. He's a giver of these gifts. Paul's second letter to the, to the Corinthians also reveals that the Father is at work as the giver of mercy and comfort to his children. You see that right in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. All that to say we have a heavenly Father who is lovingly and actively at work in our lives. and He, delo- he delights to foster maturity within his children and his his watchful eye is always on us. It's another thing that amazes me about the Lord and how he operates in your life and in my life. We're not, like an, we're not an afterthought to him. He doesn't look at us and just say, go and do this on your own. He reminds us that he's present with us continually. And then scripture also reveals to us, and this, this really connects to the relational aspect of who God is, but through Christ, we can call the Father Abba. Now, what's the significance of that? Why does Scripture say that? Well, in Romans 8.15, we're told this. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. A while back, I came across something that I guess I saved it. I have a tendency to save things that either my children create or that uh, are just kind of family things that have been written related to their childhood and, and things like that. I have a whole stash of these things that I've held on to, and sometimes I thought maybe I should get some of those things laminated so they'd be protected a little bit better. But I actually came across not too terribly long ago a letter that my wife sent to our extended family at Thanksgiving. You remember before social media when you'd like, you'd write a letter to your family? That became the trend. Some of us probably still do that. Um, but I came across a letter that my wife wrote collectively to our extended family. It was, it was shared at Thanksgiving, and it was written when the kids were very, very young. And uh, Julia, our youngest, was under one. She wasn't quite one years old yet. But if you've met Julia, you realize that she started off her days talking, right? Like talking wasn't something... Oh, I don't think we had to teach Julia how to talk. She just, she just was born knowing how to speak, Right. But she was, she was younger than a year old at the time, and in the letter, Andrea mentioned, and I, I didn't remember it quite this way, so it was interesting when I read it in the letter. I was like, oh, yeah, it was that way, wasn't it? Andrea mentioned that her favorite thing to say was, da-da. She would say that all the time, Dad da And as I was thinking about it, I was like, that's right. And you know what the truth is? Like, for many children, that's, that's if not their first word, one of their first words, But I have to tell you, even though I knew that about kids before having them, it's pretty special when you hear a kid saying that and you know that they're referring to you. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, wow, what a unique blessing and a unique privilege that is. And then you look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 815, and you have the Apostle Paul making use of the word Abba. He's using that word in relation to God the Father. Now, Abba was an Aramaic word that that children would often use when they were speaking of their fathers. And in English, the word Abba, we would translate it Daddy. That's how we would say it. And basically, it's meant to signify a very close and very loving and very affectionate relationship between a child and his or her father, Abba. And isn't it amazing to think that through faith in God the Son, Jesus Christ, that we're granted this kind of loving relationship with God the Father, that we have the privilege to call Him Abba, Father. When we're in Christ, the Father sees the Son living in us, and we're declared righteous in His sight, and He sees us as holy and blameless and cleansed of sin. And through Christ, we're, we're no longer slaves to the fear of sin, Satan, or death, because we've been adopted as sons. The Father has made us his children, and we can openly call him and consider him our true daddy. And that's what Paul was trying to convey when when you look at what he says in Romans 8.15. But here's the other thing that's kind of neat. You can confidently access his presence in prayer, knowing that he's not going to chase us away or reject us. Now, I'll, I'll use my own earthly father as an example for this as well. Um, in Stonge's Market in Scranton, Pennsylvania, there was an office. And in fact, at one point, there were two offices in the store. They added an extra office in the front of the store, and there was one in the back of the store. And as a kid, I always thought it was neat that I knew that I didn't need to knock. I didn't need, I could just walk right into that office whenever I wanted to. And sometimes when people were shopping and they didn't know who I was, they just assumed I was some child that had wandered away from his parents or something, you know, working his way through the aisles of the store. And I'd walk into those offices. Sometimes I'd see people just look like, should that kid be in there? Is that, is that okay? Now he's taking stuff out of it. He's grabbed some pens. I think he's grabbed some paper. He's got the computer. What is he doing with the computer? I didn't actually do that part, but I'd always be swiping stuff from out of there if my dad had something. He's always good for having like, you know, an open bag of like Reese's peanut butter cups or something like that. And so go in there, take what I want, step out. And I'd watch people do that. And I thought like it never even occurred to me. It just, I, I, I just knew I can walk into there whenever I wanted. I could walk into there whenever I wanted because here's the thing. You see the front of the store, it says Stongi's Market. Well, what's my name? That's the name that's been given to me. And you look at our relationship with God the Father, Hebrews 4.16 tells us it's very similar to that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever hear people say really, really stupid things about God? And you're like, boy, that's so stupid and so cliche. Why does everybody say that? Do you ever hear people say stuff like, oh, if I ever walked into church, that building gets struck by lightning, probably fall down. <laughs> that's stupid all right? That's stupid. Building's not going to fall down from that. It's going to fall down because we sing too loud. I think we all know that. Um, or, you know, people think, oh, you know what? Like, you know, I, I, I could never see myself, uh, you know, having a conversation with God. He, he just, you know, he wouldn't want to ha- have a talk with me. My life is so sordid. My past is so checkered, whatever it may be. And then you look at what scripture tells us that God accomplishes for us. In Christ Jesus, he makes us brand new. He cleanses us of our sin. He makes us righteous in his sight, and he says, get in here. You are always welcome here. You are welcome in my presence. That's what the book of Hebrews is trying to remind us in Hebrews chapter 4, 16. It's saying, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence, draw near. Meaning that you know for certain you are welcome into the presence of God. You don't even have to knock on the office door. You could walk right in. And in fact, he'd be disappointed if you didn't do it. You know, those of you that have children, especially as your children age, I'm at that weird spot right now. My wife and I are adjusting to the fact that our children, one at a time, are becoming adults ages 23, 21, 19, and 17. So annoying of them to do this to us, right? I have to tell you, like at this point now, you know, when we don't get to see them as much as we once did when we had complete control over their day-to-day schedule, And so when something happens and one of them just like shows up and randomly says, hey, you want to do something? The other day, Jay said to me, he's like, hey, my work got cut out early. Do you have time to grab lunch? I was like, yes. Now, I'll tell you a little secret. I had a lot of stuff to do that day. But my son called me and said, hey, do you want to grab lunch? My answer was yes. I dropped the other things. I felt like grabbing lunch. And when you look at what Scripture tells us about how God the Father operates with you and with me, He's not annoyed that you would take time to spend in his presence. He's not irritated that you would choose to enter in with confidence and say, Hey, Dad, I'm here. That doesn't bug him in the least. In fact, when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that he went to great lengths. He went to great pain to provide the way for you to be able to do that, for you, through Jesus Christ, to have that kind of confident access to his throne in prayer does that not impact our prayer life when we dwell on that for just a few minutes you know when you think about the fact that god says get in here and you can have confidence in walking in knowing that you bear his name that the name of jesus christ is a name that you bear like a business that you didn't start but somehow your name is on the front of the building is not that fascinating that's how our god operates He loves to have that kind of relationship and that kind of fellowship with you and with me and with with all his children. And here's the thing, as people who have been brought near to him, as people who understand that the gift of salvation has been provided for us by the Father through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's not only inviting us to spend time with him, he's inviting us to copy him. Now, Steve, I got a kick out of your shirt this morning as you walked in. Uh, I'm going to do something I typically don't do, but I know your personality will be okay. Stand up for a second, all right? Show everybody your shirt. All right, copy, copy. All right, where's the other one? All right, Christian, stand up. Let's see it. Let's see. Show everybody. Turn, turn around so the people in the back can see, including my dad who sat in the back. <laughs> paste. Copy and paste. I had no permission to do that, so thank you, guys. I owe you coffee if you're mad at me. But here's the thing. The Lord, when he looks at you and me, what's he doing? He's saying, copy me. He's saying, be just like me. I've empowered you to be just like me. And I think it's fascinating to try and meditate on or even summarize some of the ways that the heavenly father has shown his heart to us because you could look at the different things that he's done. He's created us. He's, he's rescued us. He's, he's instructed us. He's discipled us. He comforts us. He adopts us. He allows us to call him Daddy. All of these things; these are things that you and I get to experience in our relationship with him. But as he enables us to understand what it looks like to relate to him, he's also giving us the power to reflect his heart to other people. He's giving you and me the ability to reflect his heart to others. Someone once said this of fathers. I don't know who to attrib- uh, who to attribute this to. I, it, it was shared with me anonymously, so if someone knows who I could attribute this to, I'll I'll certainly do that. But someone once said this of fathers. Fathers, they, they teach kindness by being thoughtful and gracious even at home. A father teaches patience by being gentle and understanding over and over. He teaches honesty by keeping his promises to his family, even when it costs. He teaches courage by living unafraid with faith in all circumstances. He teaches justice by being fair and dealing equally with everyone. He teaches obedience to God's word by precept and example as he reads and prays daily with his family. He teaches love for God and for his church as he takes his family to worship services. His steps are important because others follow. And the idea is just as God the Father lovingly leads us, I believe that fathers are given the unique privilege not just to influence behavior, although that's part of it, but to guide and shepherd young hearts. I think that's what the Lord's inviting us to do. I think one of the most critical ways that you'll ever be able to do that is going to come back to you giving your children your time give them your time. If you don't specifically reserve the time for them, it's going to get away from them. I remember noticing this very early in my role as a father. I thought, time is getting away from me, and I'm getting consumed with all sorts of things, and these kids are going to grow up before I know it, and I'm I'm going to be like, what did I do with all this time? And I remember sitting down in the kitchen when we were living up in uh, the Poconos and, and saying to Andrea, I said, I want to drastically change how I structure my schedule because I've learned uh, in my personality, that if something gets on the calendar, it actually happens. So this is what I want to do. And I said, I want to block this time off. I want to block this time off. I want to block this time off. This is how I want us to structure our vacations, because we weren't really taking vacations as a family at that point. And I said, I want to I like do these things, and I want to put it on the calendar and lock it in stone and, uh, and let that be the case so that the time doesn't get away from us. And she said, okay, but if you ask her, she would probably tell you that at that point, she didn't truly believe I was going to stick with it. I think she thought that that was a good intention that I might not actually carry through on because I'd get busy with a whole bunch of other things. But if you ask her now if I stuck with it or not, she'd tell you, no, he actually stuck with it. Because I remember at that point just saying to myself, I was like, okay, the time is quickly going to get out of my hands. And before you know it, I'm going to have adult children, which I have right now. Can they all just be in single digits again? I just want them to be in single digits again. That was such a fun season. But time goes on, right? And the nature of your relationship with your children starts to change. And so you look at it, and I would say this, regardless of however old your children are, if you want to be that influence and reflect the father's heart to them. Figure out a way to block off time. For them, regardless of whatever season of life they're at, and regardless of whatever season of life you're at. And some of you are are at the grand season of life, as I'm seeing you with the grandchildren and and bringing them all in. I saw Ed Kisselbeck with his grandsons this morning bringing them in. And I look at that and I think, you know what? I can't wait. I can't wait till that chapter unfolds because I, I miss those little kids running around our house. And it's like, that's fine. You guys could grow up, but bring back more. Bring back an army. Of, of what I remember. I want to see an army of that. Here's one last thing I want to mention this morning. Under the banner of this idea of, of how can we reflect the Father's heart to others, H. Norman Wright once, uh, he was talking about just the ways in which a father has the privilege to actually impact the way a child will perceive the nature of God. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about how your perception of God's demeanor, God's personality, God's manner of interacting with people, how much it can be influenced by your earthly father. And either you you look at it as a comparison or you look at it as a contrast. But H. Norman, Wright and I won't go into all the details of what he said, I'll kind of summarize it, but he said, imagine a little girl of seven who knows only rejection from her father that she loves dearly. How's that going to impact her perception of her heavenly father? Do you think that there might be some challenges there that she has to think through and realize that God is a contrast to what her earthly father has been like? He also says, if your father was like a drill sergeant, demanding more and more from you with no expression of satisfaction and no tolerance for mistakes, how might that impact your perception of your heavenly father? That's going to be a bit of a challenge as well, isn't it? He also says, if your father was a weakling, And you couldn't depend on him to help you or defend you. Do you think that's going to make you think of God as unable to help you or defend you? But then he also says this. He says, how about this? If your father was patient and you saw him deal patiently with your errors, with your mistakes, with your growing pains, do you think you're going to begin to see God the Father as patient and available for you? Do you think that's something that you might begin to see? He also says, if your father was kind, you probably see God acting kindly and graciously on your behalf because your earthly father had the opportunity to point you in that direction. Here's the thing. We've been given the privilege to reflect the father's heart as we interact with other people in this world. And I'm saying this collectively to all of us. Fathers, I'm saying it obviously specifically to you, use the opportunity to influence the next generation for God's glory in that respect by reflecting his heart. But I'm also saying it to everybody, women, children, everybody. <laughs> Reflect the Father's heart in every context that you find yourself in. Effectively, as your heavenly Father, that's what he wants you to do. In your relationship with him, he wants you to copy him. He's inviting you to copy him. As he demonstrates his character, as he demonstrates his heart to you, he's inviting you to copy him and demonstrate that to others. And here's the thing. When you look at some of the needs that are present in our culture, when you look at some of the things that feel like they're missing in our culture, wouldn't you say that one of the major things that is missing right now is an understanding of the heart of God? Don't you think it would make an impact on our culture if people had a better, more clear, more precise understanding of the nature and the heart of our Heavenly Father? I think it would make a big difference. And I think that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we who have been adopted into the family of God, have the privilege to demonstrate that in every context that we're in. We serve as ambassadors, we serve as his children, we serve as representatives of the family that we've been given a name to be a part of and adopted into forever. And when I think about a way that we could utilize... A day like today, and and ultimately our our entire life, but a day like today when we think a little bit extra about fatherhood, what a blessing it would be to those that have the privilege to interact with us if they had the, the opportunity to gain a glimpse of the Father's heart through us. And so my encouragement to us as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who call God the Father, our Heavenly Father, and we mean that in a personal way, is again, model his heart, in every context that he gives you the opportunity to do so. Give your kids, give your spouse, give your friends, give everyone who even thinks they're your enemy an opportunity to glimpse the heart of God the Father by mirroring the kind of intentional love that he's actively conveying to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the example that you set for us. Father, we recognize that we find ourselves... Living in the midst of this world and knowing that there are so many that go about day-to-day life, not fully realizing who you are and not fully understanding how you desire to relate to your children. Lord, we know that we live in a world that thinks of you as distant, and I think many people in this world, if they even believe you exist, I think there are plenty that think of you as mean or aloof. Or eager to smite. And then we look at what your word actually says about you. How you predestined us to be adopted as your sons. How our redemption, our salvation, was always on your mind. How you work on our behalf. How you sacrifice for us. How your heart has been grieved... As you've observed and experienced the, the distance that humanity has tried to put between us and, and you. And Lord, we, we look at this and we think, there's just so much that at, at times we don't fully appreciate about you. And so, Lord, today we just want to say thank you for who you are. We thank you for the example that you set. We thank you for the ways in which you empower our lives and you guide and direct us. We thank you that we get to be part of your family and part of your plan. We thank you that you protect us and that you defend us. That you speak wisdom into our lives where we lack it. And you assure us of your sovereign power and your presence in our lives, Lord, because we know that going through life at times it's very easy to feel anxious. It's very easy to feel like things are coming down to us and, and our own strength and our own power, and then you show us in your word that that's not how this works. Your presence is sufficient. Your power is sufficient. You're guiding us. You're protecting our lives. You're steering us in a direction that we wouldn't have the natural wisdom to understand we're supposed to be walking in. So, Lord, thank you for doing that for us, and again, we just want to say thank you and, and Maybe even in some way, just acknowledge you in ways today that that far too often we forget. We just want to thank you for doing this all on our behalf because we know we don't deserve it, but we're grateful for it. And Lord, we're grateful for people in this world who have adopted your mindset and your heart and have shown us your character. We thank you for our earthly fathers and grandfathers and uncles and other influences. We thank you for those that we don't even technically have a family relationship with that have stepped in and, and served in those roles as well. And we thank you, Lord, for the fact that, that you change hearts and that you've got a future all mapped out for us in your presence as we know you through your son, Jesus Christ. So again, we pray that these would be things that we understand today and that this would be fresh on our mind as we think about who you are and what you do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.